Imagine one night armed government representatives show up at your home unannounced and on trumped up charges arrest you, your spouse, and your kids, and then haul you off in separate trucks to various detention centers. It gets worse. What if after two years of confinement and indescribable abuse, your captors make you an offer? Remain here indefinitely or accept a quote-unquote factory assignment. It stays worse. Today we're joined by Reginald Smith, a research analyst with advanced degrees in mechanical engineering and business and a specialist in renewable energy, now working for asset manager Eventide Investments as they examine possible investment targets for their potential to promote or harm human flourishing. Join us as Reggie unfolds more of this story and details what choices we can make as consumers and investors to make this story less common. We'll learn all that and more right now on the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Welcome. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show with Roshan Lungani, Eric Olson, and Adrian Nicholson. This show is an exploration of ideas to help you work toward your ideal retirement. Get ready for the financial independence of your dreams. Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. I'm your co-host, Roshan Lungani, here with Adrian Nicholson and Eric Olson as usual. And we also have a special guest with us today. We've got Reginald Smith, who goes by uh, Reggie, who's with Eventide uh, Asset Management. And we are really excited to have you join us today. We can't wait to hear more about you, the firm, and specifically one, one project. Eric, you and Reggie met at a conference. Can you, can you share that story and give Reggie a brief uh, introduction for us? Yeah, so Reggie works with Eventide Investments and they had a due diligence meeting in the end of May out at their headquarters in Boston. So they invited me to come learn more and, and have direct um, interaction with some of the research analysts and portfolio managers and others that make their investment process work. And one of the presentations that was given over those two days was one that was given by Reginald, Reggie. It was, uh, it was really, it was eye-opening, it was moving. It, it took what we have as an understanding um, about generalities in things that are taking place in the manufacturing section sector in China and turned them into sort of specific knowledge that I thought, wow, it's really worth knowing more about this and bringing this opportunity to our listeners. So I asked Reggie if he wouldn't mind taking some of his time to come speak with us and their and thereby to give you as well, our listener, a window into what's taking place in this sector and how you, from the vantage point of having an, a life full of impact, whether that's in terms of your giving, that's in terms of your shopping, that's in your volunteering or in your, vet, your investing, that you'll be, have a better base of information on which to make those sorts of decisions. So let me just give you... Um, a little bit of Reggie's background because it's really impressive. So as I said, he's a research analyst at Eventide and his main focus is evaluating and monitoring new investment opportunities with a special focus on clean energy. Hence today, our conversation uh, in large part about solar panels. Prior to that, 
uh, Reggie was working at Johnson Controls. He was there for five years, and that was focused on developing large energy conservation projects and solar projects, and then subsequently led the de development engineering for an energy storage startup business within that firm. So he's got an MBA with high distinction from Harvard Business School and a bachelor's and master's degree in mechanical engineering from Drexel University. And uh, was clearly has a pedigree here academically that uh, most of us would envy. And uh, that showed up in the course of the, the presentation that he did. So Reggie, thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to have you with us today. Eric, thanks so much for the kind introduction. I'm, I'm very excited to have this conversation with you all and hopefully share uh, just how important it is for us to really understand supply chains and focus in particular on a extremely critical industry, solar uh, and the solar industry, which is a global industry that's going to be very important in, in the years ahead. Well, great. So as our listeners understand, when we have a guest, we would love to just start off with a little bit of your story. Tell us tell us your story and how it was that you came to Eventide. You were there, at, you finished school, you were at Johnson Controls. What, what led to uh, that path ultimately coming to where you are now? Let me start off actually when I was about six or seven years old. We I grew up in Philadelphia and we had a two inch snowstorm. And I remember looking out my window just in love with the snow. I mean, who falls in love with the snow as a kid? Well, I guess a lot of people do, especially since it means you don't have to go to school. But for me, it was something a little bit deeper. I just became fascinated with it. I had to know when it would snow next. And I basically fell in love with the weather and studying the weather. And so I started doing my own research. Trust me, this is going somewhere. Um, it all leads to eventide. But I was uh, I started studying the weather, learning uh, meteorology on my own. At that point, the internet was starting to develop with a lot of resources. And uh, by 12 years old, I was creating my own forecasts and uh, doing you know forecasts in my teens for friends, family, and uh, uh, when I. I, I was always good at math and science. And so when I was making a school decision, I decided to do engineering. And I also wanted to get skills that I could use to help other people build infrastructure like roads and bridges in developing countries. I thought that that, you know, would be a, a great thing to, to know how to do. Uh, but I had this love for the weather. And so I sort of just smushed the two together, engineering and weather, and out came renewable energy. So roughly my sophomore year of college, I just was like, I'm going to focus on renewables. So I tried to, you know, arrange all my classes to get as much in the field as I could. And during that time, I also uh, started a Facebook weather page, I was picked up by a local newspaper in Philadelphia, and I used to do radio and uh, weekly forecasts and, uh, you know, all types. Of stuff. I had an app on the iPhone. Uh, but I continued on with the engineering and I always just focused on uh, the renewables. So I got into energy efficiency technology at Johnson Controls. You think of if a university says, I want to become energy efficient. Well, how do you do that? Well, you look at all the energy use points of a facility from the heating and cooling to the lighting to all the appliances. And you figure out ways to make that more energy efficient. So I, used, I did that for about three and a half years in school districts and hospitals and then uh, continuing with my passion towards renewables, opportunities came up 
for me to focus on that more specifically. So I joined uh, that particular team and then it eventually blossomed into helping build a startup business in energy storage that also involved a lot of solar work. And then I decided, well, this is great. I've sort of accomplished everything I want to know technologically, but I want to take it all to the next level. I want to be involved in shaping the industry from a, from a, a larger standpoint and hopefully have an impact in building it out. Uh, and so I, I thought, um, you know, money, um, finance really directs and shapes a lot of our industries. And so the next place that I wanted to go was really in investing and, and being able to enable these projects from that side. And so I went to business school and uh, when I was at, in business school, about uh, eight months in, I had actually met one of the founders of, of Eventide, Finney Cruvilla, uh, previously, but he came to my campus and did a presentation. And my jaw was pretty much on the floor after that. I was like, what? This is what you're doing? Investing that makes the world rejoice? Oh, and you're looking for someone who knows renewable energy? So it was just it was just the perfect match. And uh, I was actually largely through my recruiting already. So it all worked out amazingly well. I look back and I'm just uh, really thankful um, for, I give the credit to God for just how it, all the pieces came into place. I did 10 weeks of internship at an investment bank in Chicago called Marathon Capital. And then I did three weeks at the end of my summer uh, at Eventide Asset Management. And I was fortunate enough, both of them gave me an offer and I chose Eventide. So we, uh, as you mentioned, we're a values-based firm out of, values-based investment firm out of Boston. Our uh, uh, mission uh, is to, uh, and our purpose is um, to honor God and serve our clients by investing in companies that create compelling value for the global common good. So we're looking for companies that create what we call human flourishing that genuinely benefit the world and in pursuing this global common good we recognize the potential of renewable energy it has numerous benefits um, to society and has an, a, a true ability to contribute to, to this human flourishing and so it's really an important theme for us to pursue in our investing that is a great story. And so uh, and interesting, I had no idea that at the time you were you were hired, or at least that you were recruited, that the firm was actually looking to build out its capability in that in that sector. So that what a timely, what a timely thing. So but in addition, uh, or let me maybe ask this question slightly di differently. So was it your passion about um, alternative energy? in general, or, or the energy sector and renewable energy in particular, or was it your awareness of some of the practices in the manufacturing sector in China, or was it Eventide's um, awareness of and focus on that that led to your developing what apparently is a, is a very specialized knowledge in the extent to which there is forced labor as part of the value chain in the manufacturing process or solar panels. How how did that come to pass? Yeah, uh, yeah. And and before I dive into that, I'll just say a quick disclaimer that nothing I say should be taken as investment advice. So okay. we in our norm, <laughs> yeah. Well, just my, so you know, compliance. we always are saying that same thing. So you're right on the same page with us. So thank you for doing that, issuing that disclaimer. 
Right. Excellent. Uh, yeah. So in our normal course of uh, business here at Eventide, we're constantly monitoring our investments uh, for uh, uh, alignment or disalignment or, uh, in what we call our business 360 approach. And in this approach, we uh, look for companies that are creating value across different areas. For example, the customers that they serve, the employees that they hire, the supply chain, the community it operates in, uh, society broadly, and the environment. And this is something that's ongoing. So even if we're invested in a company, we're continuing to look at it through this lens. And uh, in February of 2021, we started to see some headlines that were connecting solar to forced labor in China. As we looked into this, it turns out that tomato paste and cotton had already been banned from this particular region of China called uh, Xinjiang. It's uh, Xinjiang, it's the westernmost province of China, and it's become an industrial center within China as um, industrialization has expanded across their country. And so as we looked into it, we began to uncover some things. Now, what I would like to do is um, in, in sort of before I get into the nuts and bolts of solar, I'd like to maybe bring it to life for you um, and, and take you and our audience to Xinjiang in 2017. And uh, let's say, let's imagine for a second that you are the head of a household in Xinjiang with a spouse and three children. And you live in, you know, typical house in that area. It's relatively small, uh, maybe has a three rooms or so. Uh, and uh, someone comes knocking at your door randomly uh, in the afternoon. It's a sunny day. They come banging on your door. And you go to the door, you know, you open it up and it's military personnel. And they hand you a piece of paper. And it says that you're under arrest and you have to report immediately to a prison. And you're looking at the charges and you're very confused in it. Uh, the charges are that you have WhatsApp on your phone, that you use too much electricity, and that you have too many children. And so at this point, you're, you're like, I mean, there's got to be something wrong. I, you're an upstanding citizen. You've never committed any crime. And uh, what they do is they immediately grab you, handcuff you, and throw you in a, in a, in a vehicle. And you, as you look back, you see the same thing happening to your wife. She's being handcuffed. She's being grabbed, put in another vehicle. And when you're further down the road, you see your children also getting taken away in a third vehicle somewhere else. And so at this point, your life is completely in shambles. You have no idea what's happening. You don't know why you're being arrested. And of course, you're very frustrated and, uh, uh, you know, very, very sad by what is happening. You, you show up to a max security prison, huge walls, um, you know, gating, fencing, security guards, guns pointed everywhere, and you register, they check you in, and immediately you're taken to a torture chamber where uh, you're, you're tortured and sort of forced to confess that 
you might be a terrorist or um, you're sort of up to no good. And they torture with they torture you with electrocution, your your electric shocks, and uh, you are then thrown into the main area of the of the prison which is nothing but bunk beds. There's a bucket in the corner where you use the bathroom. There at least are showers built, but you get three minutes on a timer to use those. And the next morning, you wake up and you have to report to an educational room where you sing songs to the CCP and you learn Mandarin, which you already know, but you're learning Mandarin. Those of our listeners, Reggie, that um, don't know the CCP, that's the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, that's right. Yes, the Chinese Communist Party. So your your next day in this camp is uh, more torture and more harassment. You might if if you showed up late to the uh, educational segment of the day, you might get beaten by guards. And the same thing is happening to your spouse. And uh, she is witnessing even worse atrocities committed towards the woman. Uh, they are undergoing the same form of torture, but also forced sterilizations. Your spouse is uh, forcibly sterilized. There's forced abortions and uh, reports of uh, many issues of sexual violence towards women. Your children are taken to an, a re-education uh, sort of boarding school. They're, they're completely separated um, from their parents. You don't know if you're going to see them again. And you are in this camp for roughly two years, and it's the same thing every day. Um, confessions, you're writing down things that you should have never done wrong, or things that you, you know, are saying that you've done wrong, um, sort of making up confessions, more singing to the CCP, more education, more torture. And after two years of this, you go down to the administration building and they give you another piece of paper. And this time they say, if you sign here, you can leave the camp. You can leave this internment camp or prison. And so you're very happy to, to do that, but you're going to have to go work for a company. And so you sign and you figure, well, out of this camp must be better than inside. So you, you happily sign. They take you, it's an hour away, they take you to this uh, company. They're still a internment camp style living facility. You're constantly monitored. Uh, your, your life is very regimented and controlled by other people. Uh, and the work you, you arrive there is uh, mining. And they give you some mining equipment. There's a you know, mining equipment and some hand tools like shovels, et cetera, for, for this mining operation. And it's for sand. And you're thinking to yourself, why are we mining sand or um, hire a particular type? Um, it's a bit like rock. It's called quartzite. And it turns out that you are mining the sand that uh, will go into and help create up to 97% of the world's solar panels. And so this was back in 2017 to 2020, where that would would uh, been the case. And uh, we began to discover uh, this uh, supply chain, like I said, in February 2021. Now, your spouse uh, similarly 
could go work at another company somewhere or be released. But life outside of the camps isn't much better. People are constantly surveilled. Uh, they, they have barcodes on your house where they can scan and get all your information, including health information. Uh, you, you might have to swipe to get out of your block or go into a store. Your, con your location and movements are constantly monitored. There's been um, Han Chinese people. So the people who are being oppressed are the, are the they're called the Uyghur people. It's a Turkish, uh, a Turkic Muslim population in Western China. There's about 12 million of them, of course, in a 1.2 uh, or 3 billion person uh, population in China. So they're an extreme minority. And uh, China is uh, really destroying their culture. So a lot of their uh, religious sites have been destroyed. Uh, their homes have been remodeled. Um, they, it, people outside of the camp have to report to a community center every day to sing to the Communist Party of China, to sing songs to the CCP. Um, uh, you could be arrested in a, in a moment if you do anything suspicious, like I said, very arbitrary things like having WhatsApp on your phone or talking to a relative outside of China, traveling outside of China. These folks are, um, are being uh, completely controlled. And many countries have called it a genocide. Uh, the birth rates are lower today in Xinjiang than they were uh, during the Ugandan genocide. Uh, so uh, one quote uh, by um, a, a lady, her name is Joanne Finley at Newcastle University. She says it's not immediate shocking mass killing on the spot type of genocide, but it's slow, painful, creeping genocide. And so these these people are really being slowly um, destroyed uh, by the Communist Party in China. And uh, so we uh, um, took, this, uh, took, took this story to uh, two clean energy companies. And um, I'll, I'll actually stop right here and see if there's any questions, and then I can explain really what, what happened next. Yeah, well, I just want to draw up the importance of that 360 scope you kind of mentioned where sometimes you just look at numbers when it comes to businesses or products or services or what it, whatever it is, but sometimes you don't really look at the story behind how this product or service or business draws out their bottom line. And that story you shared about these families being torn apart and going to these camps is it's very intense and, and very sad. And that's the importance of just looking not at just the numbers, but the overall organization business, the supply chain, how do those raw materials, like you said, the, that sand or what they're mining becomes into a, a solar panel where it's now more important than ever just to be, be aware about that because some people might be investing in it, they may not know. And just bringing these stories to light is just extremely important. And I guess this will kind of lead into the question are, do you know any type of like parties or organizations that are standing up or helping out these families that are being uh, separated and are going through these process? What are, are there any type of like stories you're hearing where people are trying to combat this or trying to fix this issue in this like that like this really terrible instance of supply chain where 
that's destroying communities in a way. Absolutely, yeah. So the there's human rights groups uh, that have been really sort of making noise about this and trying to uh, bring it to public consciousness and make people more aware of what's happening. So to to give more context. Over a million Uyghur people have been put in these internment camps, and we believe this is probably the biggest human rights crisis since World War II. We're, we're talking millions of people being affected by this. Uh, there have been probably somewhere close to 100,000 Uyghur people, it's hard to get the exact number, that have been transported across China to work in other industries. Uh, uh, as forced laborers, and we we know it's forced labor because we know that a hundred percent of the Uyghur people cannot choose to go and do this, right? And many are 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 doing this under the threat of being sent back to the camps, right? And um, uh, China has had um, uh, poverty, what they call poverty alleviation or uh, labor transfer programs in place for for years in various ways um, much of the time presumed to be voluntary but this is different and so we see human rights groups really creating a lot of noise and thankfully the united states government has begun to take action i would say for for a few year period very little was done until the end of 2020 when uh, products were banned as I mentioned earlier, on cotton and tomato paste, because a lot of the, or some of the forced labor is actually used for cotton picking, and this area produces 30% of the world's cotton, so that's a huge problem. Uh, and then uh, the uh, uh, ban was, it's called the Hoshin WRO, this was in, the, in June of 2021, banned Hoshin, which is a, a solar raw material provider uh, that supplied 16% of this particular raw material to the, for the world solar panels. Now, let me, let me explain this a little bit further. So you can think of uh, making a solar panel in three steps. And the first step is raw material. So you got to mine the sand and then heat it up and create metallurgical silicon. That's step one. Step two, you got to purify it further to create polysilicon. And then step three, you take what's called an ingot which is a rod of polysilicon all the way to the module step. So if, you, if you're driving down the street and you see solar panels, that's called a solar module, okay? So from that ingot step to the module, we, we treat that as one step because that's how companies are typically vertically uh, integrated along that, where you take the rod, you cut it up, you create wafers. You take the wafers, put electrical conducing material around them, okay, and then lay them out together, that's a cell. And then uh, you, you put uh, the glass on top, the frame around it, that's the module, okay? So, but we'll treat that all as one step. Ingot to module is one step, polysilicon is one step, raw material is another step. The raw material step is the most labor intensive. That's where we think the most forced labor is, right? There's swarms of people just involved in the mining operations, okay? and. 33% of the world's raw materials for solar comes from this province. But many companies that produce polysilicon would buy from Hoshin, from this company. And this leads to another issue where what if your company, 
right? And you you buy from a lot of different places, but one of those places is Xinjiang. So then you have what we call mixing, and that's a, an issue that you need to deal with. You want to separate out or keep or st ideally stop buying um, products from Xinjiang to to help alleviate the issue. And then at the polysilicon step, uh, about 50% of the world's polysilicon comes from this province. Much of the raw materials are bought within the province, of course. Uh, and once again, you have an issue where what if you're making on that third step, you're making materials on that third step, do you buy from Xinjiang and buy from others, right? And that's, that's really the state of the industry. So it wasn't that people are maybe only buying from Xinjiang, but they're at least partially buying materials from, made in Xinjiang. So you're, and you mix it all together. And so up to 97% of the world's solar panels had these inputs that are made with forced labor somewhere along the supply chain. And the reason why it's up to 97% is 97% of the wafers, which was one of the steps in that third bucket that I described, is done in China. They have dominated the wafer production. And that means everything before it, including polysilicon and and the raw material stuff are likely to be made in China. So in June 2021, the U.S. government banned Poshin uh, products from coming into the U.S. And we've had forced labor. The U United States has had forced labor laws on the books since about 1930, where you can't import uh, materials made with forced labor into the U.S. So this was a specific uh, uh, border uh, law that targeted this this particular company because it's sort of like the source, right? So it it reaches through the whole industry with these raw materials. So that was a good first step. Um, the um, challenge, of course, is that um, it's very difficult to track, and uh, China can uh, companies can forge documents and say they're not using it when they are. Um, they, uh, it, it's hard to um, create that pure supply within China that um, doesn't use um, at, you know, a, a low-cost provider, a, a very big provider of the raw material. And, uh, Reggie, one follow-up question. With banning this company, if 97% still somehow getting inputs from there, does banning the company actually do anything? So... What it does is it slowly forces the industry to change. So the next step, so that was June 2021, December 2021, the uh, president signed into law what's called the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. And what this does is it expands beyond Hoshin, but essentially any products made in Xinjiang are assumed to be made using forced labor. And so what we're seeing, this is what's happening. The solar supply chain is, is shifting. And it's, it's positive to create that clean product that's forced labor free within the industry. And so what we're seeing is manufacturing move to Southeast Asia from start to finish. So uh, the, the, before this particular act and before the Hoshin WRO, most of the production was done in China up to the wafer step. And then that 
those wafers, that 97% of the wafers were then shipped around the world to create cells and modules. So we even have cell and module manufacturing here in the U.S. using Chinese wafers or module manufacturing using Southeast Asian or Chinese cells. So most of it, and some people claim about 70% of the value was in China, and then it would go to Southeast Asia to be completed and then shipped to the U.S. That was the current, because we've, we've actually had tariffs on Chinese production for many years. Uh, the, the new configuration that we're seeing of the supply chain, which is encouraging, is that we're getting our polysilicon from Germany and the United States that is presumably not using any raw inputs from Xinjiang, like the sand and the metallurgical silicon. That's coming in and they're actually making the wafers, the cells and the modules in Southeast Asia, and then that'll get shipped to the US. Now, here's, here's what our message to the industry has been. That is a great step because then we can now say that you know, the panel that we have in our hand, the solar panel that we have in our hand was not touched with forced labor. However, we would like to see things get even a step further where we can say the company that we bought the panel from has no involvement with forced labor in Xinjiang. So if I go, if I take you back to those three steps, there's one company that you would buy a module from today that we have evidence of that they operate with forced labor in Xinjiang. Okay, there's only one company. That's really good. So if you were to go buy a solar panel right now, if anyone were going to do that, then they wouldn't have uh, forced labor directly um, under their employ. In the second step, is uh, many companies, and the third step, many companies. So what we proposed to the industry was, let's do a progressive uh, phase out of, of companies that use forced labor, starting with, okay, don't buy from that one company that does, right, that directly uses that you buy from. And then, let, then don't buy from module makers, that third step, that have polysilicon production that uses forced labor directly. And then finally, don't buy from the module makers that use raw materials that directly use forced labor. And we would hope that in that process as purchasing power shifts the industry that com companies that have direct use of forced labor would take remedial actions because they wanna, they wanna supply to the market and uh, would, would join you know, companies that are, are producing in, uh, in accordance with human rights. So, uh, the government sort of stepped in with these other laws and it, with a bit of a different approach, but it, it's accomplishing the clean product that we can get. So it, it's taking time for that to develop. We don't have enough today to supply our needs, but it, this was a you know, recent development. The, the law just went into, um, just became sort of active in June uh, 2022, 2022, so literally last month. Uh, and so we're starting to see what, what that means um, for, for the industry and, and if panels can, can start to come in. Um, but that's, that, that's what we're seeing, which is hopeful. We still have a long ways to go because we need to get more capacity and we, 
we need to be able to supply other areas of the world with forced labor-free panels, not just the U.S. Well, the scale of the various industries that you indicated, are, uh, or you gave as examples at least, so solar is one, cotton production is another, tomato paste production is another. I would imagine we have ready substitutes around the world for other sources of tomatoes and tomato paste, and and to, to a large extent also for, for cotton. Uh, though I imagine a lot of the clothing that we purchase manufactured in China is using Chinese source and Xinjiang source cotton as well. Uh, I'm, that's a supposition. I don't I haven't, you know, don't know that. And maybe you do. But on the side of with, with respect to the quartzite, which is a raw, the raw material fundamentally for this. Are there other uh, abundant supplies of quartzite around the world that are economically um, obtainable? The manufacturing process is very. Um, it requires a, a high level of diligence to create the quality that you need. And this is, this is at each step of the supply chain. So you want high quality quartzite, you want to produce high quality polysilicon. And Chinese companies have uh, worked to increase their quality. A lot of our polysilicon production in Germany or the US, for example, is actually made for use in chips and semiconductor chips because it requires such a high quality level. And we're seeing some of those companies revert back to also producing polysilicon used in solar panels. There is outside of Xinjiang, outside of this province, uh, roughly 67% or two thirds of the world's uh, quartzite production. So that's good. The real limiting factor is that wafer step. So once you take that rod and you have to cut it and create the, uh, the wafer, that is what needs to shift outside of the world. Because even if we have, for example, cell and module manufacturing in the US, the question is, where are you getting the wafer from? And that answer is still China. Even if you're in Southeast Asia, that answer is still China. And so Chinese companies... Is it China because of the cost of labor? Or, or well, not labor, but I guess... They're getting labor free because they're forced labor, right? Yeah. But is that why? That's part of it. Is, they're just so much cheaper? That's part of it. They scale, right? Economies of scale. China is the largest solar market in the world. They can have the best economies of scale, lower production and undercut, uh, undercut production in other, other countries, right? And they've done that for in, in other industries as well. But it's a combination of, of their cheaper labor, their scale, the government subsidies to help them with R&D to produce better manufacturing processes. And in Xinjiang, you really have, you have government subsidies. And the government, by the way, pays companies. They subsidize companies to take forced laborers. This is a, a forced labor scheme that I say, this is not your grandma's forced labor. This is not a kid that happened to sort of get dragged into a Bangladeshi uh, a sweatshop to make clothing or something like that. This is not um, a localized issue of forced labor in you know some supplier to a major uh, uh, clothing company. This is this comes right from Xi Jinping on down. This is a um, a concerted effort by uh, the Chinese government to uh, control and. Um, oppress this particular group of people. And that's, that's why the scale is so massive. The, um, uh, the, the issue of 
um, you know, subsidies, um, subsidizing R&D, paying for the labor, and actually uh, subsidizing electricity. So it's a very energy intensive process. And so if you can get cheaper electricity, which they actually have a lot of coal that they're using in this province, it's very rich in natural resources uh, to, to make <clears throat> the polysilicon. So those factors combined make it the lowest cost provider of this particular material. However, it's no longer really an issue because we've seen inflation across everything, uh, including polysilicon. Polysilicon prices have actually tripled uh, from sort of steady state before the pandemic. And uh, that, that means that other company, other countries are now cost competitive, even with higher labor or higher uh, energy production. So that's a good thing. Um, of course, the cost for solar panels has gone up, but it's still very competitive compared to alternatives such as natural gas or coal or nuclear, uh, because solar is a low, a low cost uh, form of, of electricity. So, Reggie, what you've outlined is a multi-pronged approach to try to address this in incremental, uh, of course, as well. Um, much of it driven by the political process to put in place sort of prohibitions on this or on that. Um, one of the things that's often been effective is to develop in, in other areas where human rights is, is uh, or human rights violations as part of the value creation process is that uh, you make consumers aware of it and you then provide them with an, easel, an easily recognizable validation of the, the products that they're actually going out and purchasing. So, you know, this has the good housing, good housekeeping seal of approval as something that has not been uh, produced using any of these, um, these contributions from the forced labor um, sector in China. Do you see any sort of emerging, um, you know, uh, third-party validation uh, that's that could be applied to this to give, because because which which consumer, whether it's an industrial or household consumer or a local solar panel installation company or whatever the case might be, how do they easily obtain the necessary information to help them make a, a conscientious purchasing decision here? That's a great question, and I. I... I would say the first thing that companies and individuals want to do and should do is ask where their panels are coming from and how they know that they're not being touched by forced labor from, from China and particularly Xinjiang. That will go a long way to encouraging companies to continue to work to, to you know, free themselves of this issue. So what we're seeing right now on the utility scale side is companies scrambling to buy this Southeast Asian, Thailand, uh, Malaysia, Vietnam, Cambodia supply of solar panels that is completely free of Chinese inputs. So I mentioned, you know, it uses the polysilicon from Germany or US, comes into Southeast Asia and they complete the whole process and it's free of Chinese inputs. For the residential solar market, the supply chain is a little bit different. Um, it's actually been dominated by more um, Japanese or, or uh, Korean companies that can potentially control more where the inputs come within China, because China does have polysilicon production outside of the province. 
they do have a wafer production, of course, outside of the province. So it's sort of like there's some production that might not have forced labor and some that does. And so companies that aren't Chinese owned or, or uh, uh, you know, only in China will presumably have more say in where they can buy materials from. So that's encouraging for the residential market. So in that case, for example, a Korean joint venture or a Japanese joint venture with a local Chinese company then has a clear insight into what the actual sourcing process is, is what you're saying. Better insight. That's right. And more ability to control that and, and monitor that. I think the residential side, it's still an issue, but there's more avenues to abatement and remedial taking remedial actions. Uh, and because the market is a lot smaller, you don't need, you know, that 3% of wafer capacity outside of China that can go a long way to providing uh, the panels that are, are needed for that market. And that, of course, is, is also growing. Uh, so the, the residential market does have some issues, but it, it less, less, less issues on, on this front. The utility scale side, and um, maybe to, to give you just the, the magnitude of, of panels we're talking about, one gigawatt, you need over 2 million panels. The United States is expected to install this year roughly 23 gigawatts of solar. So you kind of do the math, that's like 48 or so, 40, we'll call it 40 to 50 million solar panels, right? So it's massive amount. And by 2030... And just so we can picture this, the, the dimensions of one panel in this, in this definition is how, how large a panel? Well, the, the dimensions could change based off, of, of course, the manufacturer, but you could, you could picture it as being roughly uh, five feet by, by three feet. Okay, that's what we're talking about. So that's the the kinds of things you'll see set up on those tilting arms that'll keep rotating toward the sun. So uh, yeah, interesting. That's mm -hmm. right. We need millions. We need millions of them every single year to provide our our solar energy that we're building out all across the country. And the reason why, uh, just a quick note on this, the reason why solar is expected to become sort of like the new oil is because the sun shines everywhere. I mean, of course, some climates are cloudier than others, as opposed to wind, where you need to have a steady wind, you know, somewhere in the Great Plains or on top of a mountain, right? But if, if you could imagine like a wind outside your house, I don't know, it gets really windy every week, maybe, right? Uh, but the sun is shining every day or every other day, right? So that's why solar very practically is expected to overtake wind and become an, a more important technology. Uh, so we're going to need millions of solar panels. Ideally, you know, we would see manufacturing come here to the U.S. as well. And, and we would like to see uh, manufacturing jobs, more supply chain involvement here. Of course, there's machinery and parts and pieces that need to get made to support that. And so it could lead to more uh, economic opportunity for uh, folks here in the U.S. But in the current situation that we have, we're encouraged that we're seeing shifts outside of Xinjiang to, uh, to, to pull the supply chain away from forced labor. And, and this all happened in the last year. Like I said, if, if we were speaking a year ago, it was up to 97%. And today we're actually starting to see panels being produced that don't have forced labor. Anyway, and we can verify it importantly. And so that's, that's the important 
piece there, but it's still a small fraction of the total panels being made, but it's a growing fraction. And so we're, we're excited about that. Um, and we want to keep seeing this progress get, get made. And, and like I said, for consumers, you, you want to ask because that gives companies more uh, impetus, more motivation to keep working towards this and disrupt the status quo. So the perpetrators, obviously, of this the, this evil are are undoubtedly um, aware of the efforts that are being made now to more closely scrutinize the sources of these materials and at these various stages of the production process, as you identified. And I would imagine they're doing uh, undertaking some degree of countermeasures to the extent that they can, so that they continue to be able to produce and monetize this this forced labor without necessarily detection what what if any countermeasures are they they taking and what what recourse does the rest of the world have to um not be not have our efforts to um essentially make this process and this practice unprofitable for the the government there what what steps are we taking to sort of counter the countermeasures if any yeah so the government in China actually has a law that says if you comply um, with Western sanctions or with sanctions from the U.S., there could be severe penalties, and it it you you can't essentially if you're if you're a company in China do this. Now, what we found is that Chinese companies can um, tell the government our customers want us to do something, and this is why it's so important for industry to ask the, for, for solar panel buyers, whether you're an individual or if you're a company, to ask the suppliers to take remedial actions or to use poly, uh, polysilicon and other inputs that are not made in Xinjiang in, the, in their supply, because then they can just say, our customers want this, not the US government, but our customers. And that's the difference. And even here at Eventide, we are not against making things in China right? We're, we're against using forced labor in China. We're against using forced labor anywhere. And that's the, that's the issue that we're having. We're, we're, we want to attack the forced labor, not uh, maybe the, the government or, the, uh, or a Chinese company, for example. And I know people, you know, uh, have various political beliefs and, you know, or things, uh, maybe issues with China, and that, that's fine. But we're looking at this from a very uh, um, a very pragmatic, a very practical approach of attacking forced labor. That's what we're against here um, at Eventide, and that's why we've invested the resources to um, to educate the market, to seek to educate the market on the issue, and uh, help companies hopefully develop solutions and help industry develop solutions to get this uh, completely removed from the supply chain. And so. Uh, China is t is sort of taking this as uh, a trade war type of thing, so they're they're fighting back. I mean, there are some worries that China could uh, maybe stop shipping to the U.S. Right, and and this is a a broader uh, geopolitical question for the United States. Do we want to be dependent on Chinese or Southeast Asian production, especially considering the Russia Ukraine Ukraine crisis? We know that depending on European countries are realizing, hey, depending on Russia, really isn't, isn't good for our, our energy. And if we're going to be 
building out solar, then this really isn't good um, to be dependent on China. And so that's where domestic manufacturing does make sense. Many companies right now are working to diversify their supply chain. So they'll buy some from China, some from Southeast Asia, some from Mexico, some from the United States, right? So it's we're seeing uh, manufacturing move around the world to more places to, uh, to, to create that supply chain diversification. You mentioned earlier that tariffs were one mechanism the U.S. government had used in general in its um, trade relations with China. Has there been a particular effort to elevate those tariffs against um, solar um, panel products, either the completed good or um, parts, as, as part of this effort to combat this? Yes. So there, there actually was a big, uh, a big investigation opened by the Department of Commerce. It is currently under investigation right now that says that China is trying to go around those dumping, uh, uh, and they're they're trying to go around those existing tariffs by manufacturing in Southeast Asia. It's called um, anti-dumping countervailing duties uh, tariff. They're they're trying to go around those, and 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 building in Southeast Asia. And, and that's why there's so much cell and module production in Southeast Asia um, today is because it's it, it doesn't have the level of tariff that the Chinese uh, production does. That actually shut down for a, for a couple months, panels, uh, many panels from coming to the U.S. to begin with. So this was a huge uproar in the industry. The Biden administration put a, a, a freeze on new tariffs for two years uh, on solar panels, but the Department of Commerce may still, may, might not uh, put a new tariff on, on uh, that production. And so there is these trade, there are these underlying trade dynamics that are going on that could shift uh, the supply chain even more. The long story short is we, we need to get the clean supply um, that is ver verifiably clean supply made somewhere. Uh, it would be great to have some of that here in the U.S. It would be good to have you know some of that in Southeast Asia or other other countries. Is you know there there is room enough. The market is so large that there's room enough for many countries to be involved in this. Another country to watch is India. So India is, they tariff and are in the process of tariffing so much that they're going to almost shut China completely out and produce their own from start to finish supply chain. And that uh, hopefully, you know, will be very free of, of forced labor and they could even potentially be an exporter to the rest of the world. So we're starting to see uh Good movements there. We we still have a ways to go, but uh, the 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 trade war backdrop is helping the supply chain shift outside of Xinjiang and outside of these troubled areas of China. Uh, that's a brute force method, of course. Um, the industry, you know, might not like that sometimes, but in this case where we have such a a you know a human rights atrocity going on that. Um, any support that we can get to attack that issue is, is good. I was going to say, Reggie, with the opportunity you described there, as far as just the growth of solar, it just seems huge, right? So if I'm 
if uh, for the people listening that are looking for investment ideas and opportunities, what would you say they go look at? I know with compliance and everything, I'm not asking for specific names. I'm just uh, asking for any, how would you guide someone like me that says, where can I look to invest in the space? Yeah, you, you want to invest in, in companies that are getting uh, high quality uh, solar panels that aren't using forced labor, because those are the companies that are going to have a steady supply, an uninterrupted supply. And even if there are more tariffs put in different places of the world, the price will go up, but the industry is likely to digest it. And so you really want to look for, this is where um, I'm excited to be a part of our work here at Eventide and investing in these companies, looking for companies with uh, reputable supply chains, because this is the resiliency that such a company can bring to the market where you're going to avoid um, a lot of headline risk. You can potentially avoid uh, trade issues and, and headline risk, like, like I said, and this is part of our philosophy. We, we want those, those companies that are, uh, are aligned in, in pushing for a cleaner solar supply chain. And so uh, there, there are repercussions for um, doing business as usual in, in a changing world and in a world that is so aware of, increasingly aware of what's happening. Um, there, there, uh, for example, there, there was uh, the release of what's called the Xinjiang police files that documents over thousands of people detained in these camps. And we have eyewitness testimonies. Do you want your company tied to that? Do you want your company uh, to be now visibly associated with this? Children in these camps, 14 years old in these camps. And so there, there is a, the need for companies to seriously consider and for investors to seriously consider these implications in their investment decisions. And for, for the everyday investor, um, um, you know, to, to the extent that you can, um, seek the same, seek, seek the same uh, sort of upstanding firms as well. So, Reggie, earlier you were talking about the mission that drives Eventide. And I would imagine, while on the one hand, this is a, a passion for you and, and certainly aligns well as, uh, with the rest of the folks at Eventide in terms of their passion to try to identify ways in which we can both avoid investing in some direction and, and possibly invest in other directions. So I, I would imagine as well then that this is filtering its way through into some of the investment activity of Eventide Investments. Which of the funds take this information that you're producing as a research analyst and appropriate into appropriate that that insight into the portfolio manager's decisions? Yes, yeah, so I, I contribute to most of our our funds. Um, for example, um, Gilead and uh, EDO or Equity Dividend Opportunities Fund are are different funds we have. Um, we now have eight funds actually um, and growing, but uh, I contribute ideas to most of our funds. Uh, we do include um, some level of, of energy and uh, renewable energy in, in many of our funds. And so this information gets, gets integrated uh, uh, really on, you know, 
constantly as, as new information comes out, you know, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm monitoring. And, and, and so this, this has been very helpful for us, um, not only to uh, look to identify companies that want to take action and are taking action, and then also understanding the industry and, and what that true uh, growth rate will be going forward, because this has been disruptive, right? We, we need to essentially shift the supply chain and it is disruptive. And so, you know, that, that influences how we adjust and, and think about uh, the industry and, and ultimately the uh, companies that we wanna own and the companies that we think will be the, the, the leaders in this type of, of, of a setting and this type of a backdrop. Well, for our listeners, uh, Reggie, this is, uh, you know, we, we talk about, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, to talk about having a high impact life. And so whether you've given us ideas today in terms of our direct purchases, as well as in our investments, you've also talked about the political process. And so I would just say that seems like that's another potential area for people to fully direct some of their energies is to make it known to their representatives that these sorts of things matter to them. Um, but I just want to say, as, as at least on my behalf, as a personal thank you to that you have committed your life, uh, or at least this chapter of your career, to monitoring these sorts of things and bringing um, bringing this information, not just as a sort of an idle area of awareness, but also bringing it into the investment process. So, uh, because without you and without uh, people like you doing that sort of thing. Uh, the rest of us who are looking for an option for for uh, investment in a way that aligns with our values around these sorts of things would would be um, denied. You know, we'd have one less opportunity through which to express that through our investment. So thank you very much for what you do. And uh, that passion is that weather, that weather forecasting uh, youngster <laughs> sort of channeling that all the way through into now this chapter of your life. And I, I'm, I'm really grateful to you for doing that. Thank you very much, Eric. No, it's, it's great to, to be here to just, just to share a little bit of my passion and, and, uh, this this information on the solar industry. I'm excited. You know, the future is bright. We are developing new technology innovations that are going to be uh, transformative in how we power the global economy in hopefully a, a cleaner way with less pollution, uh, hopefully in a cheaper way as well. And it's always an exciting time when you're in the middle of tech, technological innovation uh, but we've got to do it the right way. We can't sacrifice humans. We can't sacrifice other people to get to this, uh, to get to this goal, to get this desired outcome, right? We, we want to do it in the right way. There's have, we've had too many times in, in human history where we've seen us getting to um, something potentially better, but doing it in a way that is quite frankly immoral. And so we want to we want to develop a global system of business and have a global system of business that really respects people and the value and the intrinsic value the intrinsic dignity that all people have if our listeners would like to learn more about this area and some of the research that's done has eventide or have you developed any research products for consumers that would help them and, and investors help them better understand this uh, in the specifics Yes, we have a report on this issue uh, at eventideinvestments.com. 
So E-V-E-N-T-I-D-E investments.com. If you go on the website, you will be able to find, uh, yep, there it is. You will be able to find uh, our report there that we have crafted for uh, advisors and, and, I, and the general public to read about this issue in depth. And, and the report really outlines, one, how forced labor's rolled into the solar supply chain, two, the, the backdrop of oppression in Xinjiang, and three, an approach that we're proposing to remove forced labor from the supply chain. It's a quick read. It's a it's a uh, five minute read, but it will give you what you need to know. And how uh, I'll ask you one more question, but Roshan, you were you were going to ask a question as well. Well, no, I was uh, just going to echo what you were saying and say, Reggie, thank you. And I I didn't know the connection how. Uh, a meteorologist from AccuReggie became a research analyst at Eventide. But <laughs> as you describe it, it sounds like just such a smooth, smooth or direct path that I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see coming. You never know where life is going to take you, but it it's taken me great places. Well, that's wonderful. And if people want to follow you, are you active on Twitter or any other you know sorts of uh, media where they could uh, be kept a of what sorts of new things you're discovering and, and making now? Well, I, I mean, I do have social media. I'm on uh, Twitter, but I, I don't do much of the professional updates there. Most of that will come through uh, the through the website. Uh, we, we, we do have some, potentially some things in the works around uh, just energy and, and different things. Sometimes I'll do a webinar um, for an energy update you know, things of that nature. That's the best way right now. Um, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Yeah, that would be the best, best way just through the website and, and materials that Eventide is, uh, is releasing. Well, and I'm not sure if you do updates on there, but I just followed you on uh, LinkedIn. So Th there you go. That's another good one. Yep. Well, listen, listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us. This has been a longer episode than we often will do. But we felt like it was an important one. If you have uh, other questions that you have for us, and particular, particularly how you might implement some of this in your own planning and investing, definitely reach out to us. All of our information is at our website as well. So that's retirementlifestyleshow.com. As well, if you have found interest in this topic, we have earlier episodes that also deal with values-based investing. Everything from, as we mentioned in talking with Reggie earlier, um, a previous conversation with uh, Jason Meyer, also from Eventide Investments. And then we've had other conversations with those that are involved in direct impact investing, dealing with uh, sex trafficking, with poverty, widows, orphans, um, community development, and much, much more in other parts of the world. So you'll you'll be able to find a lot of that past um, learning that we've all done together on the website. So thank you so much, Reggie, again, for joining us. And listeners, um, if you've liked this episode, we hope you have. We'll ask you to share this episode with others that would equally benefit from learning more about ways in which we are collaborating as an investment community to combat this sort of horror in a major and growing area of the the renewable energy segment of the economy and until next time thanks so much for being with us 
Schedule a conversation with Roshan, Adrian, or Eric today at retirementlifestyleshow.com. Roshan and Eric are certified financial planner practitioners. They, along with Adrian, are investment advisor representatives and serve clients across the U.S. with financial planning and investment advice through RTA Wealth. If you found this show helpful, gain knowledge, or enjoy the time you spent with us, tell your friends and leave us a five-star review. This will help others discover the show. To access our show notes, to download any of the tools mentioned in today's podcast, to ask us a question, or to schedule a conversation, go to retirementlifestyleshow.com. All opinions expressed by podcast hosts and guests are solely their own. While based on information they believe is reliable, neither Arate Wealth nor its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, nor do their opinions reflect the opinion of Arate Wealth. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be regarded as specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. The show hosts offer investment advice through Arate Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor and securities through RTA Wealth Management, LLC, member FEMRA, SIPC, and NFA. Finally, our music is The Chance by Jason Shaw in Audionautics. It's part of the YouTube Audio Library and it's licensed under a Creative Commons license. I am Ray Voices. Thank you for listening.